Okay, so I was on retreat this past week. Um, these are great. Uh, I have uh, a very generous relative who flies me down to these retreats, and they're specifically for pastors. It's Monday through Thursday, um, and it's specifically for pastors of small churches. Um, there's others that show up. In fact, I, last time I went, uh, I met this guy. We became really good friends. We still text, every, uh, not every week, but we text often, and uh, he works under Joel Olstein, actually. So big church people go there as well. Um, but what they're targeting is uh, pastors of small churches. And I had a blast. And one of the great things about these retreats is you get lots of great stories out of them uh, for sermons. So um, that's where I'm, I'm going to start. By the way, I just want to mention, uh, my kids are awesome, right? And I'm calling them up. This is, a, this is in South Carolina, like it's right on the ocean. And when I say on the ocean, I don't mean like a rolling waves and all that. It's a creek that goes around an island um, and it's salt water and it's tidal and there's marshes, <coughs> lots of marshes. So I'm telling them about how we're out there and I see this alligator, this huge alligator roll into the ground, yeah, or not into the ground, from the ledge into the, uh, into the water. Like I've never seen an alligator. And, you know, real life. And then on my last day, I'm walking out in this long uh, dock and two, two uh, dolphins, they swim right under the dock right here. I watch them go here and I come over here. And I'm like, girls, man, I, you know, this was awesome. I, they're like, oh, that's cool. And then I said, and Outer Banks was filmed here. What? Outer Banks is filmed there right around the corner? I'm like, yeah, but I saw an alligator, you know. <laughs> And, and that was rare. They don't really go in salt water. They get mites. They get mites on their skin, and they go in the salt water to get rid of them. But because uh, that salt water would dry them out too much. But anyway, so Outer Banks was filmed right around the corner. Uh, so there's that. Uh, but I got to meet a lot of people, and I heard this one guy uh, tell a story. Um, and these stories are are rough. They're rough uh, stories. Uh, sometimes we, we do this thing, it's really basic, just, you know, what, what are your highs and lows in the last year or so? And people go around and share. And uh, the lows get more of the attention uh, because they're causing us pain and they, and they draw our attention. Um, <clears throat> and this one guy was talking about uh, uh, family. And, and typically when you share it, it's either going to be about family or it's going to be about the church work. And this guy's talking about... Um, <clears throat> some really rough things he went through um, that he's working at a church and his father-in-law works there and is the pastor and he's the youth pastor and he's and his father-in-law is raising uh, raising this kid on his own uh, a grandchild and this guy beats someone up beats, beats beats his girlfriend up and the girlfriend's brothers show up and stand in the youth leaders they live right next to next to each other right next door to his father-in-law and these guys show up these brothers show up um, start shooting up the house of the, of the father-in-law. And so this guy he's trying to raise comes back out and starts shooting up his house and hundred rounds into the house. Um, and so now he's trying to figure out uh, what his ministry look like. The father-in-law keeps defending this kid. and uh, It's just it's not a good situation. So he tells this story, he's telling this story and this is like one of the most intense stories we're hearing. And he, he tells how he takes his, family out uh, to the West Coast, and they're in the San Diego area or, or L.A. or around the beach with a bunch of surfers. 
this guy gets to the beach uh, in that wide open space in the ocean and he just sits down on the sand and he's just bawling. He's sobbing for like a half an hour. And the surfers are like, dude, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> and uh, he says they were really nice, but he just sat there and, and just was sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And now he's coming back and trying to figure out what life looks like. And uh, they left the house and they're living somewhere else. And he's trying to figure out ministry. And, um, his father-in-law runs the place, so he doesn't know what to do. And I was talking, I said, one of the things I spoke up and said, I, I said, that moment on the beach um, where you're sobbing and just overwhelmed with God's love and God's presence, I said, you need to find ways to, to do that. That's, that's your starting point. Um, and then you can move from there um, with a, an assurance of God's love and God's presence and work out all the, all the details, sort it all out. What does it mean? And that's what he was trying to do. And I don't think he had come to any decisions yet or any uh, clear uh, direction forward. Um, but that's what lay ahead of him. Um, Jesus has this moment with God um, where he is baptized. Uh, he, he's preparing for ministry. And he's not out in Southern California, but he is at the water. Um, perhaps there's some sand around at the Jordan River. This is the place where Israel crossed into the promised land. Um, and he's there, and he's about to begin his ministry. Uh, this is a time of preparation, and one of the things that happens uh, at that point is uh, this voice from heaven comes down and says, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. And I think if we were to translate that, just boil it down, God's saying, I love you. I love you. Right? And I don't think that, I've said this over and over, I don't think really Jesus can move on without that. I think that's an incredible starting point. The text we get into today is uh, what happens next. And he is, uh, in fact, in Luke, actually he goes through a family tree. We're going to get to that in a second. But then he goes out and it says that he's led out into the wilderness by the Spirit. Um, and his preparation is continuing. And Jesus needs to sort some things out. And I think that we don't really think of Jesus that way, that he needs to sort some things out. But I don't think I've ever heard anyone say this. Maybe lightning will strike the, the, the church. But Jesus has issues. He's got some issues to work out. And when I say that, I mean that if you have a family and you have a nation and you have an ethnic group that you belong to, you've got issues to sort out. There's things to think about. Um, <clears throat> he's got to figure out um, what ministry looks like. And he, in, in particular, he needs to know where those limits are. He needs to sort out what that means. If the voice from heaven comes down and says, this is my beloved son, he needs to figure out what that means in order to do the work of ministry and the work of following God. And so um, what kind of issues? I don't know. Uh, we don't know much about Joseph who raised him. The very little we get is that uh, he was a righteous person, so we could, I guess, assume that he was a good father. But we don't see him present very much toward the end of Jesus' life. And even if he passes away um, and he was very much loved by Jesus, Jesus needs to sort some things out about what that means. Um, he is among a people group that has uh, historically been oppressed in many, by many different regimes. 
Uh, he needs to work out. What does it mean to be Hebrew in this world? He's got national issues. His uh, country is occupied by the Roman Empire. And so there are issues of power and struggle and oppression, and he needs to work out what all that means. And so he goes out and he's led out by the Spirit into the desert to sort out what this incredible love of God means and where it will lead him. Um, <clears throat> so as we start, we got a, you know, a little bit of Israelite history. Uh, it says here um, in, oh, I guess it starts in Luke 4, but in Luke 1 and 2, we have this family tree. And we got generations passed down and down and down. And some of those people were a bit nuts. You know, Jesus got to work that out. By the way, John Howell, one of his ancestors is J-O-D-A, Yoda. We always knew there was a little bit of force working in him. So, uh, yeah, he's, I'm not going to say it. Um, all right. <laughs> There's really a guy named Yoda, J-O-D-A. Uh, so, it's part of his ancestry. Uh, the devil uh, shows up with him out there. Um, and he's pushing Jesus to figure out what these limits are. Um, <clears throat> does Jesus believe what he has heard from God about being fully loved? Does he believe that? Um, does he trust God? Based on that love, does he trust uh, where God will lead and what God will do? And, and we all struggle with that as well, don't we? We struggle with that love, feeling loved. Um, I think everyone does. If you're young and here, if you're in middle school, if you're retired, you're struggling with that question, does God really love me? And will God be faithful in that love? And what does that love look like? Because sometimes life takes turns where we feel like we're not loved. So he's trying to work this stuff out, uh, sort it out. Um, <clears throat> so in verse 4, we have his temptation. And that is our text uh, for the first Sunday of Lent. Um, and it says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit... Uh, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Um, I'm not sure what kind of fasting. He doesn't eat anything. I don't know what that means as far as what he's drinking out there, um, but um, he's hungry. We can say that, that. He's struggling on a physical level. The devil... Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone. So here's the first temptation. And it's important to... Uh, we read it. It's usually translated, if, if you are the Son of God. And it seems to have Jesus calling into doubt his, uh, his relationship with God. I don't think there's other ways to translate it. Um, and since he just heard that voice, I think that according to the text and the way the story unfolds, there's no uh, really question about that. The question is, what is he going to do um, with his understanding of Scripture? What is he going to do about following God and trusting God? And so one way to translate it is since. Since you are the Son of God... Um, why don't you turn this stone into bread? And the temptation is really simple. Like, 
Just fulfill your needs, your physical needs. Just go out and do it. You're hungry. You have the power to do it. Just go ahead and do it. So the temptation, the question around this temptation is, where is my sustenance found? Where is it going to be found? And this is something we are tempted with all the time. And typically when we talk about Lent, it's, it's kind of contained to this one thing, right? Well, I'm going to give up coffee. I'm going to give up watching uh, TV. I'm going to give up things that I like to do that kind of, you know, I think that I need. You know, I'm going to withhold. Um, and as we see that Lent's going to be a whole lot more than that. It's really about sorting out uh, these issues of trust and faithfulness and do I believe God loves me? And so here the question is, where is sustenance found? And the devil's question sort of assumes that he is the Son of God. Since you're the Son of God, you know, since you have all this power, since you can just take and do these incredible things, why don't you just do it? And Jesus sorting it out and really trying to interpret Scripture. What does Scripture really say? He says, no, we do not live by bread alone. It's not the physical things that sustain us, but every word that comes from God. And of course, it's not saying that food is not important, that we could live without it, but that our true sustenance comes from God. That's where my primary trust is. And when we put our trust in physical things, material things, what do we call that? It's a really religious term. Idolatry. Yeah, idolatry. We're worshiping other things. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to go there. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. This is an issue of power and authority over them. The devil said, because you are mine, because they are mine to give to anyone, I please. I will give it to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. This one is really interesting. Um, And it's interesting for us in this time in history with all that's going on in Russia is that Jesus is living in a time where his country is occupied by this fierce Roman Empire. I mean, it's actually enormous. Um, Sometimes very brutal, sometimes very... uh, at least uh, turn the other way, look the other way with other religions. Um, But what do you do with power? Hey, you can do a lot of good things. Jesus is living in a time where someone needs to come in with some power and do some good things, right? And so um, I would imagine that that is an incredible temptation for him. And it's important to realize that when we read about this, we talk about Jesus as fully God and fully human. And I really, what's more encouraging to me is to hear the human part of it. We know that he's God, or we believe that he's God. But this idea that he is really tempted, he is really tempted to do this. It's not temptation if it doesn't really affect him. As he's out preparing for ministry in the wilderness, he's thinking about, how can I overthrow the Romans? Well, I don't know. I bet, I bet it's very close to the top of his mind. What will his ministry look like? How are the, I mean, just imagine the suffering. One of the people, the guy that was driving the boat, actually, um, on this trip, 
he's ex-military and he was talking about all this stuff going on in, in Russia and he was talking about leadership, you know, like diplomats and, and leadership and um, had a lot of really interesting thoughts about uh, the situation in, in Russia. But what Jesus is doing here is he's stopping and trying to figure out what does real power look like and what can we do with it? And we, we all have some power. As made in the image of God, we all have power. And um, Jesus, being a descendant of Adam, which is where that genealogy goes in Luke, goes all the way back to Adam, son of God. One thing that happens there is God sets limits. That's the whole story of, of the creation, right? When God creates light and day and air and land and sea, and says it's good, I think that we automatically think that the water is good, that the land is good and the air is good, the physical substance of the creation. And that's true, but I think what more is happening, what's, what's, what's really good is the fact that water is here, land is here, and air is there. There's limits. There's boundaries. <clears throat> Everything's chaotic up to then. And we've all lived in chaotic times. People in Ukraine are living in chaotic times right now. We're all... Your rhythms of life are disrupted. Think about a time that was so disrupted by something and all the chaos that it brings. The story of creation is that God comes in and brings limits and sets limits. That's the ocean. It's over there. Here's land. That's air. That's light. That's darkness. And the whole thing is this ordering that is a beautiful piece of art. And then we have one thing. Don't eat the fruit. Set limits, because that's where freedom is really found. And he doesn't do that. So when I say Jesus has issues, I mean, he's got to sort this out, because we just had a genealogy, a family tree that went all the way back to Adam, who didn't observe the limits. Jesus is trying to figure out what do limits look like. I don't worship you. I don't worship the power that you can give me. I worship God. And that's where I understand power lies. <clears throat> so with the stones and the bread, you know, Jesus, the devil is asking, does God really care about you? Is God going to sustain you? And where is power in this next temptation? And then the third one we come to. And the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. Scriptures say, every uh, devil's quoting scripture. It's interesting because we can take scripture and we can, we can manipulate it. Um, it takes a humility to see it, uh, you know, and a, and a willingness to follow. But he misquotes, he takes these things out of us. Uh, he doesn't misquote them, but he takes them out of context. The devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple, said, if you are God's son, since you are God's son, jump off. The scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. This is what we just read, Psalm 91. And they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even stub your toe on a stone. And Jesus responds. Now this one, the question is, uh, is God faithful? During those times <laughs> where you're in trouble, is God faithful? Will God rescue you? Jesus responds. Scriptures say you don't test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. So Jesus' temptations continue in the future. But 
You must not test the Lord your God. And this is another one that we wrestle with all the time. Particularly, I think of when people are sick um, and we just want to see healing um, and there's so much grief and pain involved and then uh, something happens, things go away that we don't expect. There's a question about God's faithfulness. God, does God really love me in this time of trouble? Um, does God care for me? Will God rescue me out of this certain thing? Um, and that's, that's a hard one. <clears throat> what's interesting about this, what's interesting about this is that he's tempted to feed himself. He's tempted to kind of take control of, of the world in a way that's not really how God planned. And he's tempted to distrust God's faithfulness. And yet, when there's 5,000 people who are hungry... He's able to feed them. Turns to this nameless boy and John says, uh, what do we got? What do we have in the basket? Okay, let's get to work. His disciples come to him. Right? Hey, there's all these people. Let's send them away. Let's send them into town where there's, some, where there's a good, you know, Hannaford. Hannaford's out there. And... Yeah. He says, you feed them. Us, right? Followers, you feed them. And even though he turns down this power that's offered to him, um, he still speaks out against the empire in sort of a, a backhanded way that sometimes comes off as a little bit hidden. <laughs> and still he's raised up as a king in a mock fashion. He's on his throne. It's a cross, right? And he's nailed. He's got a crown and he's got a robe. And he's got King of the Jews written in all the known languages in that area, all the commonly used languages in that region. So that everyone can read King of the Jews. He's raised as king. And then 50 days later, he is really raised as king in, in the ascension, in the day of, uh, we think of Pentecost, in the days leading up to Pentecost. Um, and when he doesn't want to go to this mock trial, this arrest, when he's praying in the middle of the night, he asks his disciples to pray with him. He sticks with it. He tells Peter, you know, we, we do not live by the sword. Put your sword away. That's not how this works. And he knows. He can read the writing on the wall. He knows what's going to happen to him, and he does it anyway. He trusts God. He's faithful, and God is faithful. Amen. So what's interesting with these temptations is that they all work themselves out in a way that God has designed. And, and, you know, Jesus lives his ministry. This is so important for ministry because we can't just go out with that sense of love. That is critical. That is so critical that we have an understanding of God's love, which means we need to speak that love into each other's lives. Amen. Right? As a community. Because God works through people. Um, but that's not enough. He's got to sort out all these things. God's faithfulness, God's love, God's provision. He's got to figure out if all that works. And then his ministry can proceed from that because his ministry begins after that. Just like Israel enters into the land, Jesus then exits the wilderness and begins his ministry.
right? And that's why Deuteronomy is so important because this letter that we read about Israel is really designed to say, listen, you're going to come into a place where everything's given to you, that you have food, that you have power, and you see that God has brought you through. And that's going to, if you don't sort it out and honor God with all that he's given you, it's not going to work well in the land. And Jesus needs to figure that out. He needs to sort it out. So that's what he's doing. And I love how all those things come to pass. The food, the kingship, and the faithfulness of God in his ministry. And he lives his ministry that way. Particularly as you read the book of John. I'm thinking of this one time where he, he heals someone. And he says, I do what I see the Father doing. That's it. I mean, how much... Think about our own ministry and our own lives. If we just did what we saw God doing, just follow that. And I was just at a retreat where, where a lot of people are burned out because we're trying to do more than what God is showing us. Uh, but that's what Jesus does. And I'm sure there are other people that needed to be healed, but that's who God showed him and that's what he did. Um, <clears throat> so what's interesting about this is that Jesus sorts us out and he draws a line in the sand. He sets limits. And this... By doing this, by setting limits, this is what's interesting. It's counterintuitive. We feel that if we set limits, that we're limiting ourselves. But Jesus sets limits, and it opens up a whole new world for him. It opens up a whole new world of possibility. And it's counterintuitive. The devil, the, the tempter, whatever, the world out there is going to say, listen, limits are just going to limit you, and it's not going to end up the way you want. And here we have this idea of limits, and it's beautiful. That is the beautiful painting that God is doing in our lives. And that's what Lent is about. It's not just giving something up. It's setting limits on our understanding of power, um, God's faithfulness, God's love. Do we believe that? And are we going to live within that? Um, <clears throat> I love this quote. It says, being chosen and anointed is not sufficient preparation for ministry. We must be tested often by being led to places of hunger and despair. Only then do we learn dependence on God who graciously provides for all our needs in all of life's seasons. Well, isn't that for pastors? No, we all are called into ministry. We all have work that we are doing for God. Um, so by opening up that world of limits and freedom, we get to take part in that. Amen. With Christ. He is ministered to by the Holy Spirit. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit and that power. And he invites us into that same world of living within those limits and living a life that is much more free than we ever imagined. And that's what Lent is partly about. Um, we walk with Jesus in this time. Jesus, our identity is our identity. And we enter that when we enter into that relationship with him. Um, <clears throat> and so I want us, I, I want this time to you know, challenge us to think about those areas in our life where there's chaos. Because <laughs> we all have it. We all have things that seem a little bit fuzzy and we're trying to sort them out. Think about those areas. Um, what are the limits that God may be leading you to? What are the temptations there? to grab and take, to use power in a way that's not necessarily for the best of all. Where are those areas in your life? And how can we 
follow God during this time of Lent. So instead of just thinking about giving something up, uh, during the next 40 days in this time of Lent, um, as we walk with Jesus, Jesus, the time of Lent is Jesus preparing for Holy Week, for Passion Week, for the cross and the crucifixion. And we walk with him. Um, <clears throat> Lisa put me onto this thought that Jesus calls us friends. His disciples, he calls them friends. He serves them, cleanses their feet, calls them friends. And this time is not only a time where we think about what I need to give up, but it's a time to walk with Jesus in his preparation and be a friend to Jesus. He asks his disciples to pray with him, you know, deep into the night. And they can't do it. Even on the Mount of Transfiguration, what we saw last week, they can't do it. They're just too sleepy, can't last. How can we be a friend to Jesus? Think about the suffering that he goes through as we take communion. And how do we walk with him in that way? And what does Lent look like for us as we walk with Jesus in his suffering? And minister to him as a friend. And receive the power of the Holy Spirit during that time. Can we do that? Amen. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take communion, um, which is a reminder all year round of Jesus' friendship and his suffering on our behalf. Um, I think we're going to have Linda up front and we'll have uh, Kiva out in the lobby. Um, <clears throat> I want to read this passage from Romans. This actual passage that Paul is writing looks back to the book of Deuteronomy and he says, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and it's in your heart. He's quoting Deuteronomy there. As the Israelites are going into this promised land, he's like, you don't have to climb mountains to figure this out. It's close at hand. God is close to you. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jews and Gentiles are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so um, if you're not a Christian, um, I guess I would challenge you to think about those areas where uh, we feel that despair, you know, or that challenge uh, to use power in a way that um, doesn't really, um, that won't be good overall, to take the idea of setting limits and taking for ourselves. And I want to invite you into a life that is not necessarily free of difficulty, but a life that is opened up to the love of God and the possibilities are opened up. And a lot of times what we learn there is very counterintuitive. There are limits there, um, but the limits open up God's love for us and we are filled with that spirit and we move forward. And if you have any question about that, just ask me. And I will um, would love to talk to you about, more about that. So let's call. Uh, we'll have Linda come down and Kiva. And uh, I'll close in prayer. God, um, you are a mighty God. And there are passages we come to where the depth um, is profound. And uh, it, it takes time to wrap our minds around. And 
Some of us have been through many seasons of Lent. Some of us have been through a few. Open up our minds um, to the idea of limits so that we may be free, that we may be a part of a world that is beautiful and ordered, not ordered in some weird, rigid way, um, uh, but a way that brings life to others, that honors others, that honors you, um, that loves you with our whole heart and soul and mind, where people are loved, they are felt loved, um, they are included, they are defended against the oppressors. Um, Open up the possibilities of Lent for us as we walk through that. Um, Lead us in specific things uh, that we can uh, refrain from or add to our routines um, to gain a greater sense of your presence and your love and your grace and your mercy. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.